We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. On tonight's second episode, we're going to break down the Giants defense on all 22. Really, in my mind, when you consider the opponent, this was arguably the best game of Patrick Graham's career with the New York Giants, and maybe just the best game overall by this Giants defense. You consider how many possessions the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had, how well their offense had been playing prior to this game. They were coming off a torching of the Oakland Raiders defense, an absolute torching of that Raiders defense, and that leads us all to a lot that we want to talk about tonight. But before we do that, I did want to promote something that we will have coming up this Friday. You'll probably be listening to this now on a Thursday. But on Friday, we're going to do a live Q&A show on something called the Locker Room app. If you're looking for details on that and you would like to join the live Q&A show, please check out my profile on Twitter and check out the pinned tweet where I break down what's going to happen and I tag the Locker Room app. On your app store, you would download Locker Room. Then you would go into the Locker Room app at 5 p.m. on Friday and join something called the State of the Giants Locker Room. In that locker room, me and Nick will be me and Nick will be the hosts talking, and then there's a button you can press to join not only the locker room, but to then grab the mic and ask us the question live, where you will talk your question into the phone. We will hear the question. Everyone will hear it on the app, and then we will grab back the mic and answer it. Maybe there can be some back and forth. So if you want to join this live Q&A. It's Friday at 5 p.m. 
The details are in my profile. And if not, send your question to me on Twitter. Respond to either of the tweets that I send out or any of the tweets I send out about the locker room and about this Q&A show. We will, if we have time, time permitting, we will answer the questions that you asked, not live, but that you sent beforehand. And we will shout out your name. And then ultimately, if you can't make the show at all, we're going to end up putting a recording of this live Q&A on our podcast feed. So everyone, if you miss it or not, you're going to get to answer these questions. You're going to get to listen to these questions. It's probably going to end up being state a lot of State of the Giants type questions, which is cool. We're excited to talk about this team moving forward, the future outlook, and how they're shaping up now, both short and long term. So we're really excited for that. So if you have the time, definitely join us there. But for now, let's dive into a little All-22 on the defense. And I want to start, Nick. With a little crow that I have to eat, or I don't know about crow. Crow's not the right word. With a little touch into why I believe I'm an objective analysis of the Giants. And it starts with me giving credit to Dave Gettleman. Because this defense, we give a lot of the credit to Patrick Graham, and I do ultimately think he's a big reason why the defense is performing the way they are. But a lot of it is also the pieces that Dave Gettleman put together, especially with the limited resources on the draft he's used. I mean, this defensive line, the interior defensive line, is playing phenomenal football against the run, and it continuously puts teams into third and long and second and long situations. At the same time, it also limits these types of teams like the Buccaneers, who want to be a run-first team and want to set up the play-action game and want to really establish some kind of run because you're not able to because of the front guys they have. And then you look at some of the signings he made. Blake Martinez, my God, this is a guy who in some people's minds struggled with the Packers but has found his way in Patrick Graham's defense James Bradbury another guy who played well at times that some people believed was a liability even at times in Carolina Panthers defense the complete opposite here a stud outside boundary corner one of the most important things you can have in football and then when you see guys like Cam Brown and even Carter Coughlin and some of the guys they've traded in and out of the secondary flash game after game you start to think about who put this roster together and it's not only the job Patrick Graham has done so I don't know where you're at with that but it it is time for me to give some credit to Dave Gettleman definitely deserves credit for how this defense is performing I think it's a collaboration between the coaching and the guy giving him the ingredients I think the knock on Dave Gettleman that we can obviously address is the fact that there is no edge presence on this team and then that's where you look at Patrick Graham and you say he's making the most of the edge rushers that they have but With Dalvin Tomlinson, who is still on this team, but wasn't drafted by Dave Gettleman. Dexter Lawrence, obviously drafted 17th overall in 2019 by Dave Gettleman. And then Leonard Williams, which I think Dan and I are both on the same page. You don't like that trade at that time, but we really value what Leonard Williams can do. The Giants have been able to do excellent things on this defensive line with that trio of players. And that's helped the linebackers and the additions that he's made in this offseason. And we haven't even seen Xavier McKinney out here. I think he would be excellent in this system. I mean, you have to give some credit to Dave Gettleman. You could still be critical of him for kind of how he values certain things. Obviously, like I said, that Leonard Williams trade, the lack of edge presence, but edge players don't necessarily grow on trees. That's a hard position to really replace. You bring in guys like Jabal Sheard and Trent Harris and they're playing adequately. That's a testament to coaching. And I guess you can even point to the pro personnel department of the New York Giants to locate some guys who are going to fit into this system and be like, okay, let's talk it over with our coaches, see who they want. Obviously, Patrick Graham's like, hey, Trent Harris has been in my system. Let's go after him. Jabal Sheard, been in New England system. Let's go after him. That shows a cohesiveness around the organization that you want to see. It shows that the front office, the 
pro personnel department, that, that scouting department, and the coaches are all on the same page. And that's also something that I feel like you can kind of glean from this. I think that's an interesting little tidbit, and it's something that not every team, which they should, but not every team always does. I think it kind of speaks to maybe how Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge is getting along right now, despite a 1-7 and seven record. Yeah, and that's in the plus column. I want to make it clear, though, while I'm giving Dave Gettleman credit, I, know. I 100% believe the Giants should move on from him, and I believe he's done a terrible job when you consider that in his three-year regime, which is an incredibly long time mm-hmm. as a GM, you look at what happened, like, for example, with the Miami Dolphins. Let's look at that team, who we also, like, we all, we agree right now, Joe, you are probably a little bit higher on Joe Judge as a coach than I am, like Joe I'm, Judge. but I like Joe Judge. I, I think you more, very much so like I him. I do. I really like Joe I Judge. I kind of like him, and I like him. I, I don't know where to stand, but I don't, like, for example, I'm using the Dolphins example. I don't think he's Brian Flores good right now. That's just my personal opinion, but you look at that franchise. Two years ago, people were saying they were tanking. They were literally calling them a tanking team. They said that was the most horrendous roster in the NFL and then they jaded Minka Fitzpatrick and they're like this is the most barren cupboard roster and Laramie Tunsil and Laramie Tunsil who's amazing and they said this is the most barren cupboard roster in the NFL and now two years later the Dolphins are a really good football team less than a year later less than a year later the Dolphins have are what five and three right now yeah and they just went to a rookie quarterback like and the first quarterback wasn't really the reason they were winning games so ultimately and again, we talked about the Cardinals who turned things around, but that's more because they found a quarterback, though that was Gettleman's job, and he found Daniel Jones, so that's also on him. Ultimately, he's done an atrocious job, in my opinion, but there are some good things, like I said. like you got to give credit where credit You have to still give credit. Like Individual yeah. moves, you still get credit. Like Just because the team has only won 10 games in his three years, and four of those were against Washington football team, and two of them were against backup quarterbacks, which is an incredibly bad track record for a three-year span. That's 40 games, or no, now it's... What? Yeah, 40 games, 10 of 40. That's not what you want. You don't want to win one of every four games. You're never going to You're gonna go 4 and 12 every year if you win one of every four. So he's obviously should be out the door because three years is way too long, and his process is completely flawed, and he's missed draft picks, and he's traded a bunch of people like DeAndre Baker, yada, yada, yada. All that's true, but he can still get credit where it's due for doing what he said, which was shoring up the defensive line and becoming a physical team in the trenches that you can't run the football on. You cannot really run the football on the interior against the New York Giants. And in third and short situations, I think they might be one of, the, one of if not the best defenses against the run in third and short. So I want to start with a play that happened late in the game because this is a game-altering play. We talk a lot about game-altering plays. Jones's interception, that changed the game all these different types of plays. Well, one that changed the game was when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were at the New York Giants 20-yard line with just three minutes and 49 seconds left in the game, and they were facing a third and one. And at this time, they were up five points. Now, here's why this is a game-changing play. Against most defenses in this spot, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or any football team is getting this yard. I gotta be honest with you, look across the NFL, it's almost a guarantee to get third and ones for the most part. And if they get this third and one, with the clock being what it was at 344, they can potentially score a touchdown because they have a new set of downs. Or they can bleed the clock out and kick a field goal to go up eight and to give Daniel Jones and the offense maybe 40 seconds on offense with no timeouts, kind of like what they faced in that last on that game two games ago. Um, or I believe it was the last game against the Eagles. But instead, the Giants are able to stuff the Buccaneers for no gain, maybe even a loss. It wasn't spotted as a loss, but it was spotted for no gain, but it 
it could have been spotted as a loss and ultimately the Buccaneers kicked the field goal weren't able to use any more time off the clock and the Giants had time to go down and make that game winning drive which obviously ultimately led to the Daniel Jones missed two-point conversion but I want you to break down this play because I kind of set the table of why it's so important and how is it possible they can make this stop but before we continue let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses right now indeed is offering our listeners a free 75 dollars credit to boost your job post which means more quality candidates will see it fast try indeed out with a free 75 dollars credit at indeed.com slash blue wire all one word this is their best offer available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire all one word terms and conditions apply offer valid through december 31st Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's a BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now let's think about Tom Brady. What does he do exceptionally year in, year out when it comes to these kind of situations? The sneak. Quarterback sneak. So what did the Giants do? Dalvin Tomlinson, you're the zero technique. Leonard Williams are going directly over the field side guard. You're the two technique. And Dexter Lawrence, you're going to be essentially a two-eye technique, almost a one technique, basically right next to Dalvin Tomlinson. So Tom Brady, good luck. And if you watch right after the snap, Dalvin Tomlinson blows up Jensen. He absolutely lifts him up off of the ground and all three of those linemen just constrict the A-gap. So you're not doing that, Tom Brady. That would not have worked against the Giants front. And that says a lot about this Giants front because it's an incredibly effective play that Brady's been relying on his entire career. So what do they do? They hand the football off to Leonard Fournette. Those three defensive linemen winning in the interior parts of the against the interior parts of the offensive line spill Leonard Fournette. He can't go in there because there's just too much congestion, there's too much power, and there's too much push from the defensive line. So he gets spilled outside, and that's where the other defenders need to fill, and they need to not allow Leonard Fournette to get any positive yards. And this is a testament to really Jabril Peppers, who flies in from the edge and just hits Leonard Fournette as he's trying to kind of squeak in between Leonard Fournette, or I mean, between Leonard Williams and Blake Martinez. 
Jabril Peppers just flies in. And Jabril had an excellent game, dude. And we'll talk about him, I'm sure. But Peppers flies in there, makes the hit, and then holds Fournette up and just drives him back with just a bunch of Giants bodies there. It was a rally type of defensive play. It was executed phenomenally by the Giants. Man, and I just, I love the raw power of this team this defense the collective nature of this defense especially in terms of run support when you think about what they do in run support because they spill they box they're fundamentally sound guys like logan ryan and jabril peppers are excellent in run support and logan ryan actually had a pretty bad play in this game where he missed his assignment and i was like oh wow that doesn't happen all that often coming down as that force kind of defender but man dude i this is a unit of the Giants team that I'm incredibly proud of. I'm really glad that they have Patrick Graham, and I'm really glad that this unit is playing as hard as they are for this coaching staff. Yeah, and it's like you said, it's not just Patrick Graham. It really isn't. It's a lot on the players, too, who have taken to his coaching. And like oh, yeah. you said, it's an extremely fundamentally sound defense, which you haven't seen at all times from the Giants over the last few years. With James Betcher, certainly you could say they weren't fundamentally sound. And even at those, you know, that later years with Steve Spagnolo, when the talent kind of waned and the veterans kind of, you know, were on the way out the door. It wasn't the most veter- uh, technically sound team, especially with the safeties they were trying to put out there at the, at the back end of that run. Um, so it really is good to see a defense fundamentally sound. But I have a question that really interests me now because it's like I'm so confused where to go now as we move forward with this franchise in the offseason with this position specifically on the interior defensive line because everything I've studied about the NFL screams in my face that you should not be spending money on two interior defensive tackles when you already have a 17th overall pick under contract for three more years you have BJ Hill under contract for another year who by the way I would love to talk about I always want to talk about BJ Hill I love watching him on film I think he's awesome on film I just freaking think that even in the run game he had a really unbelievable run rep that I put in my notes I'm going to try to find another point so we can go over it but like this guy's good against the run too he's not just a a, a gap shooter he's good against the run too so it goes against everything it screams in my face that you shouldn't be investing your assets there (laughs) you should be you should be you know investing it in positions that like stopping the runs cool it's great it helped in this situation but ultimately this is this game is won in the passing game this game is won in the chunk yardage plays and this game is won on the money downs third down and in the red zone and that's when you kind of would rather have those outside corners in man or you'd rather have one-on-one edge guys ultimately so that all tells me they shouldn't but then again i just think it's so fun to watch these guys and i feel like this defense is playing so well as a whole in large part because like you said they work together so well in the run game because of the ability like is it possible for this run defense to do what they're doing if they don't have those guys on the interior i'm not so sure not to the level of consistency that they do I think Dexter Lawrence and Dalvin Tomlinson are different players. I think they get labeled and pigeonholed as, oh, they're like the same kind of players. Just I think they're totally different players. But when you you look at Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams, so those are the two guys that we're really referring to in terms of the offseason. Both free agents. Both going to be free agents. And if you're not going to use the franchise tag on one of them, I, I'm not 100% sure. I would love to franchise one of them and sign the other. I don't think you other. can franchise tag Williams again. I don't know. I think you can. I don't think it's going to work out. I think it'll hold out. I think that's very true, yes. You're allowed to. I don't think Leonard Williams is going to have it. So no, Leonard Williams won't have it. I'm yes. saying maybe Dalvin will have it. <laughs> yes, and then you could sign Leonard Williams. But again, you have to be smart. I would have to really look over the cap to see exactly what state the Giants will be in at that time. So and that's not comp- just the cap. It's it's the amount of money yes. you're putting into him to, to one position. And I think the Giants are going to look at both these players. I'm going to say, even though Dexter and Dalvin are different players, 
I think their skill sets are similar enough to where you're going to retain Leonard Williams because Leonard Williams has more pass rushing upside, and mm-hmm. you're going to let Dalvin Tomlinson go. But it's all going to come down to cost because Leonard Williams has been on record saying that he wanted Aaron Donald type money this offseason. Mm-hmm. If he's going to go for that, and Dalvin's willing to settle for something a little bit different, I think the Giants would lead in Dalvin. I think it's going to be a really, really interesting conversation as the season progresses and as we get into the offseason as Giants fans. You know, guys people who follow this podcast you guys know i, I love dalvin Tomlinson. and yeah. I, I do not want to let him walk the giants got to be judicious with their funds and with their money but this group right now the group that we're witnessing it's a shame that this team sucks and that they're one and seven because this is a very talented group that really like you said is the foundation of this defense and you know that opposing offenses don't want to play this giants defensive line or, or run run against them in the interior gaps. They always try to stretch it horizontally every time, and that's where I think Jabril Peppers is very, very vital as that flat defender. He makes a lot of tackles in pursuit when teams are trying to go east-west and then try to cut it north-south. I think Peppers and Ryan are both excellent at doing that, and I think Xavier McKinney would be too, man. Yeah, I hope that they're going to be able to get something out of McKinney this season, but I do want to talk about Jabril Peppers. He's somebody I really wanted to feature on this podcast because I think ultimately this is the best or second best game he's had in a New York Giants uniform and it's clear that he's now fully healthy his first game back he clearly wasn't he was still kind of shaking it off and now it looks like he's back and ultimately you could probably go with this one or the Washington football game last year Daniel Jones's second start where he made the splash plays but if you really look at this game yeah sure he doesn't have the box score stats he didn't make a pick he didn't have a sack but what he was able to do both in run defense and in coverage with the pass defenses, and these were great jobs. And like you said, just that ability to buzz out to the flat and take away stuff that quarterbacks see or want to see and take away the quarterback's eye candy. It's just, he has that ability, and I think he's starting to come into his own in this specific system, which is the most interesting part to me. But ultimately, his, and this is a huge thing, that you need that kind of alley defender, especially if you're going to set up the defense like they have and like you've done a great job of breaking down the spill a lot of those things to the point where you need a defender to fill like him from the edge he can do that he does it with the best of him he's super physical he gets in there he's tough as hell tough as nails he's honestly one of the better run defending safeties that i've watched and that's obviously not to take anything away from landon collins who was the best run defending safety i've ever seen play the game for the new york football giants without a doubt but When you factor in also what he's starting to be able to do in the passing game is he's getting more used to the system, and I believe that's a major reason why we're starting to see it. And again, no interceptions, but pass key passes defense in this game. I think he's molding into that player they envisioned when they traded for him. I think he's doing a really good job at that, and I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, just to talk about their game plan, I think they took a page out of what the Eagles did and what Washington did even before that by using a lot of space and concepts similar to what Jason Garrett does to attack underneath zone because Patrick Graham runs predominant zone. He runs a lot of three high types of coverages. Sometimes. Which is so funny because we spent the whole offseason talking about how he only run, it's, mostly runs man. It's a, it's, a te- <laughs> it's a testament to personnel. You can't yes. go out there and have Isaac Yide yeah. or Ryan Lewis run man <laughs> coverage because they're not going to be able yeah. to do it on horizontal crosses. We saw that yeah. against Pittsburgh and we saw it a little bit against the Chicago Bears until Graham did an excellent job adjusting and kind of just making this defense totally different than what we imagined it because of the personnel. That's a testament to excellent coaching. But the Buccaneers, they came out with a lot of outbreaking routes early on to take advantage of that flat defender and try to put him in a conflict with high lows from running backs releasing into the flat and then some sort of outbreaking route from the number 
a two receiver with the number one receiver running a clear out. And that was something that was really common. We saw that with a couple shot plays to Scotty Miller throughout the game. And there were a couple times they tried doing that to Jabril Peppers. They had some success with it, but Jabril Peppers is the defender on the Giants that if you're a Giants fan, you want them to try to do that to him because he has the athletic ability to flip his hips and make a play on the ball, whether it be over his head or or underneath to to the defender in the flat. And I actually... Think about some of the other defenders we've seen throughout the season be put in that position. Guys like Devontae Downs and some of the linebackers. I think it's been an excellent adjustment by Graham to put Jabril Peppers down there in the box and kind of put him on the edge a little bit more to have him have that specific responsibility. And I just imagine if Xavier McKinney was healthy, he might have that as well on the other side, creating a really unique tandem if McKinney would be able to hold up against the run because we know Peppers can. Yeah, and a few things there, Nick, but I want to start with the most important that every listener is probably going to be interested in hearing, and that's, it's Xavier, not Xavier. The X is not pronounced in his name, so just a, just a you know, as someone who has been on the right side of these pronunciations in the past, <laughs> obviously the corpse debacle, I don't even want to go back into it, it's still embarrassing even to think about. I did wanted, you, you still slip up and say it. I still slip up sometimes and say it. I did that one specifically on purpose, though, just because obviously. But no, no, of course, yeah. Yes, yes. And you are a clear believer in it's Devonta, not Devante Freeman, though everyone knows that one is also incorrect. So now <laughs> I should be up 2-1 right now in pronunciations for, after you said Xavier. No, you also had LaFaro's last name, Joey. Fine. I, well, they, let you have some weird— One of our friends. One of our friends of the show. Agreed. Yeah. But again— Xavier McKinney, the X is not pronounced. But, yeah, I agree with that, obviously. I mean, can you imagine this defense? I'm always going to pronounce it wrong now. Well, you have been (laughs) till this point, so hopefully you can fix yourself. Um, The fans are really desperately clinging to your pronunciation of this guy's name. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. But, again, I think Nick's spot on with that. McKinney would make a difference in this defense. Remember, McKinney is a guy who was the quarterback for Nick Saban's defense, an amazing Alabama defense, played 33% of his snaps in the box, 33% 33% lined over the slot and 33% in deep path. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound like someone who is a cookie cutter perfect piece for Patrick Graham to get his hands all over? It does to me. It's unfortunate he broke his foot, man. He could have been great. But I want to touch on something you said a little bit earlier when you were speaking, and it was about what Patrick Graham's done, man. Like week one, he comes out. He wants to play man. He played man a ton with the Dolphins last year. He blitzed and played man a ton. And it just doesn't work. He realizes it. He adjusts. He takes in and accepts his personnel that he has and he sees that i don't have the man corners that can cover these crossers so what does he do he changes his whole defense basically he essentially alters his entire defensive system and plan mid-season and then goes with a heavy zone look it's incredible to me how brilliant someone is in my mind as a coach to be able to just mid-season like that and he's playing safe too because when the giants do come out in man coverage what are they in they have two high safeties yes and those two high safeties are specifically watching the inside receivers on deep cross routes because those are typically the receivers that will run deeper kind of cross routes and if they are stacked they're watching just that stack and they're seeing and they're trying to kind of anticipate what's going to happen if one of those cornerbacks end up getting beat. And I think the Giants are just doing an excellent job handling different formations too. Two by two formations, three by one formations. You see the adjustment against the cover three kind of defense the Buccaneers did, and I'm I'm sure you picked this up on film too. It was the Buccaneers came out in a lot of three by one sets and they tried flooding that zone. So what they would do is they would put James Bradbury on the outside, sometimes they put him on the inside in the slot against Mike Evans when they wanted to shadow Mike Evans in specific situations, but they would have James Bradbury outside, and they would have him basically look through the number two and the number three's route to see their release while feeling the number one, 
and they were kind of letting Bradbury kind of play two routes at once sometimes with safety help over top and sometimes they would run quarter quarter half with obviously two safeties kind of or two deep defenders I should say to that three by one side and then the deep half safety on the boundary to help out who, whatever corners on that side but I thought it was unique how they would kind of the Giants would line up over the three wide receivers with two defenders it would look like and then another defender kind of off a little bit kind of giving the Buccaneers the illusion that they had numbers but in reality they didn't because of the coverage that the Giants would end up having over top and what James Bradbury offers from a mental processing standpoint in zone to where he can kind of eye down Tom Brady see where he's going see the routes from the number two and the number three while still feeling the number one which is his primary responsibility unless he goes vertical to where the safety would take him yeah, that's an excellent point. It's just the little intricacies of this Patrick Graham defense that stand out to you when you watch the film. And these are the type of things we didn't, I don't remember us talking too much about with James Betcher. I got to be honest with you. Yeah, Betcher had a few flash plays that we loved to break down last year, especially for blitzing um, on some sacks. Yeah, blitz, but blitzing for sure. he had some really interesting blitzes that got there for sure. But that type of stuff in the secondary, and I think that's what he was kind of billed as with this whole pattern, pattern match stuff with Betcher, but it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Too complicated. And it might have just been too complicated for. Uh, secondary that let's face it in the nfl these days secondaries are always going to kind of be this rotating door the injuries really pile up there for those type of skill i I call them skill players the corners and the safeties they're small guys they have to you know fire in to make tackles and they get hit a lot and put into tough positions to stay healthy um so ultimately when you see a coach doing the type of things you said finding a way to use I'll call it like this, simplified but complicated coverage responsibilities. It's awesome to see, man. It really is. And it's so impressive to me watching this guy and watching his defense week in and week out. And, you know, you look at some of the players and how they've done with them. They've really gotten the best out of guys like James Bradbury, Blake Martinez specifically. Blake Martinez has been one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL this season, which is something none of us would have expected going into this season like we thought what we were going to get was a guy who can play the run something Alec Ogletree somehow couldn't do as a middle linebacker oh, absolutely not <laughs> but we didn't really expect to get a guy who was going to be a complete inside linebacker in the middle of the field doing well in coverage understanding the system perfectly making big plays like the forced fumble he made that really changed the game in my opinion it gave the Giants a ton of momentum that he carried throughout the first half so talk a little bit about Blake Martinez and what you see week in and week out there I mean I think I go over it almost every podcast the guy is an absolute beast when it comes to defending the run and I know a lot of Giant fans say oh he's a liability in coverage I don't necessarily think that's true he gave up the catch to Cameron Braid it was a nice timing route yeah. by Cam Braid a nice little push off too which I think the Buccaneers are the kings of I think Mike Evans, yeah, Evans is, had a big one against Bradbury uh, a big one against Bradbury I've, I've said this for a while Mike Evans is the biggest walking OPI infraction that sometimes gets called, but sometimes just does not. And every time I see OPI thrown on Mike Evans, I basically don't need to see the play. So I'm like, I'm sure it happened because he does it almost every play on every break. He's very, 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 very good at hiding it. I'll, do, I'll give him yeah. that. And that's, that's, that's half the battle. But Blake Martinez, man, I mean, I, there's, there's one play I want to go over to just in terms of pass coverage because this defense, it, yes, obviously individual players make a big difference. But what Blake Martinez has to do is sit in those intermediate zones and put himself into position to eliminate receiving threats that come through his zone, essentially. So one play in particular, in the second quarter, 559 left, third and 10. This was the sack of Leonard Williams. 
this is a similar look when I was talking about. So it's basically a three by one look with Gronk as a tight end as that one, I guess you could say receiver, but he's in line. So he's a wide tight end to the field. You have three receivers and you have basically numbers because all three of the receivers, you have two receivers that are tight. One that's in plus splits of about six yards. And there's only two cornerbacks that are looking like they're in coverage. And then Jabril Peppers is inside of that number three receiver, kind of on the, the hash. Now, Pre-snap, you look at that and you say, hey, we might have leverage there. That's probably what the Buccaneers are saying. But post-snap, Darnay Holmes rotates to a safety position and it goes into a two high. Which you have James Bradbury as the number one eyeing Tom Brady, Jabril Peppers, and Blake Martinez, who are near that line of scrimmage. Blake Martinez is in the middle field. They both bail to that three-receiver side. They turn their backs and they absolutely bail and they follow both of the number two and the number three receivers basically in man coverage and just sit on both of their routes with cloud coverage over the top of the number one with Darnay Holmes who dropped from a safety spot who was the apex defender and then James Bradbury who's outside and this is what led to the sack from Tom Brady I think it was a nice move by Cam Brown by this by Leonard Williams by this defense but Tom Brady looks right to the three receiver side doesn't see anything he likes panics and then Cam Brown and Leonard Williams specifically gets in there and gets that sack and let's not miss uh what i think what i would consider burying the lead and it's just a joke because you completely broke that play down perfectly and why it was able to happen and why the giants were able to find success but i'll consider this maybe not the lead but the second graph which is leonard williams absolutely bullying the oh my gosh bullying the crap out of donovan smith when he rotates and loops around he just destroys donovan smith out of his stance and just uses a power bull rush type move pushes him right in the chest knocks him completely off balance and then is able to adjust his body and sack tom brady this was one hell of a performance overall in so many ways from leonard williams who is playing his best football as a new york giant maybe his best football in his nfl career right now yeah and he was really good one in his first couple of years with the new york jets and on that play that was a five-man pressure and they were yeah. able to execute that coverage but when i saw that on film mm-hmm. i was like dude that that was something of beauty right there and i hope on the judge report i'm not sure if that came out mm-hmm. yet because uh i don't know if you guys watch that but on some giants.com joe judge breaks down an offensive and a defensive play every week i hope he breaks down this defensive play because it resulted in a sack it was in a high leverage situation and it was executed pretty well by every defender that was out there yeah this was just this is if you want to see an example of what why this defense is overperforming their talent level and why we like patrick graham so much check this one out third and 10 at the tampa bay 47 with 559 left in the second quarter just look at it from pre to post snap and you can see why even the great tom brady has somewhat of confusion yeah Yeah. and i think there's a lot to be said for that and there's no one who processes better post snap pretty much than brady at this stage like who's left in the nfl really i mean you can make some cases for some guys but he's probably number one when it comes to that yeah he's excellent out of him and drew Brees. yes they're probably number one and two when it comes to post snap processing and yet patrick graham confused him and this wasn't the only time patrick graham confused him in this game so kudos to patrick graham man he is just one hell of a coordinator fine for the new york football giants to go to the uh, edge position a little bit, yes. I, I think uh, Kyler Fackrell was in my notes several times. It's just, man, this guy hustles. This guy is tough. Yeah. This guy is an excellent run defender. He's somebody that you want as your end man on the line of scrimmage to set an edge. But the guy just has no bend trying to corner no. at the top of the arc. No. And, you know, people said this when the Giants signed him from Green Bay. A lot of his pressures were hustle pressures. And I think that's fine. I think that's kind of what he does for the Giants, too. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If you have a system like Graham's where you're kind of manufacturing pressure, you sort of need these hustle 
pressures because a lot of the times you're banking on and you're executing the coverage to the point where the quarterback has to stand in there and guess what guys anyone who watched this on broadcast or on all 22 will tell you that Tom Brady had all day back there for the most part this game there were a few sacks um, a couple sacks I think it was two there were some pressures but ultimately the Brady had all day back there but that's not to say that the Giants are playing poor defense because he didn't always find solutions even with all that time because the coverages were executed so well and I think that's a big testament to Patrick Graham it is it is and I think we're going to continue to see with Patrick Graham running this defense we're going to continue to see a lot of these teams try to attack the flats I think we saw that a lot in the second quarter a lot of quick passes to Mickens and Scotty Miller and all these kind of plays and I expect similar a similar outcome I guess you could say to players like Terry McLaurin this Mm -hmm. week and if Sims is going to be healthy and whoever else they can try to throw the football to JD McKissick or Antonio Gibson because that's the way you attack a cover three if you want to utilize the quick game and get the ball out of your hands very quick I mean you can obviously attack the seams you can run hitch seams and things like that but you want to attack the flat you want to put that that flat defender into conflict and that's kind of what I was talking about before and that's why I like having Jabril Peppers as that defender because he does a good job in those situations he'll give up the pass but he's usually a sure tackler after it yeah very sure tackler he was an incredibly sure tackler in this game specifically Dexter Lawrence another one I think we have to talk talk about a little bit Dan yeah him and BJ Hill they had a couple reps where they were just those guys man dude you're talking about Ali Marpet Ryan Jensen you're talking about a very good interior offensive line mm-hmm. and there were a couple reps where Dexter Lawrence, B.J. Hill, they would just win outright, and it wasn't even almost a contest. Yep. Dominating at the point of attack. Obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams are, should be included in that as well. And I have to give a shout-out to two other players. Well, yeah, we definitely want to talk about some interesting interesting developments here. Yes, interesting developments, and I, I'm still—I don't think these players are necessarily good, but these two players, I felt like, played well in this game, and that's Isaac Yidem and Devontae Downs. Devontae Downs was pretty solid in coverage. In he had a, one really, really awesome play in coverage. Yes. Yeah. And in general, and, and no even, lapses. Yeah, there were no lapses. And I was watching him specifically on some on some of the plays that he was in to see if he dropped to the right location or if he was out of position, which we've seen several times. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't. Yeah. He, he dropped there. He was aggressive. He was looking around, looking for any kind of crossers coming from the backside. It was very solid. And as for Yadam, I think he was... You know, I, I, the thing about Yadam, he's going to be susceptible in man coverage because he's just not that great of an athlete, and I think his technique is pretty poor. His footwork is pretty poor, but he was beat on one play, and he had the wherewithal and the recovery speed to catch up and force a PBU, similar to James Bradbury. James Bradbury was yep. beat by Mike Evans, and he showed that quick burst and ability to put himself in a position, read the eyes of Mike Evans, and then get your hand into the catch point to force a PBU. Both times, great great job by both of them in those individual reps to recover. Get the PBUs, and that saved big plays from happening, chunk yardage plays that end up deciding games. So I didn't know which direction you were going to go, and I want to talk about a couple other players that intrigued me that got some snaps today. I want to start with a guy who we were both super intrigued by when the Giants draft him, just a ball of clay that they can mold. May not have the best edge, Ben, we get it, but does have twitch, does have burst, does have length and does have raw speed and that's cam brown number 47 for the new york football giants who finally got a little bit more action on this defense still only four snaps and it is what it is but if you watch him in this game the first sack that the giants had or it was either the first one or the second one it was leonard williams it was leonard williams one sorry where he just shows so much burst off the edge and forces kind of that that whole offensive line to kind of 
shaking their boots a little bit to kind of readjust what they want to do to kind of have Brady slide a little bit when he may not want to slide there and he just really has a good pressure on this play he ultimately doesn't get credit for the sack it's Leonard Williams sack no doubt about it but he's a factor on this play for sure and the thing is he gets chipped by a tight end that's something you see like Chase Young ends up getting that kind of treatment and they're not doing it because it's Cam (laughs) freaking Brown let's not misconstrue that but the tight the tight end is his path is right through Cam Brown so Cam Brate funny same name ends up chipping brown and then brown uses a nice stutter step and this is against tristan Wirfs. he hits tristan Wirfs inside shoulder and then he just goes right inside and tristan Wirfs opens his gate a little bit to allow brown to have an inside angle and brown does a good job taking his inside angle kind of turning the corner Wirfs does an excellent job because he's worse recovers but this forces tom brady to kind of tuck the ball back Mm -hmm. in and this is also because the coverage on this play was excellent. And then that's when Leonard Williams just yes. absolutely ate the soul of Donovan. Yep, no doubt about it. And like you said, it's good to see him out there. He's got burst. He's got speed. He's an intriguing Very player. Very long. Very long. Super long player. I mean, six foot four, I think, six foot four and a half. So, and then another guy who got in, a guy who had some good plays good some some good reps when you watch this film at minnesota off the edge which you don't expect for a guy with his height and with his lack of length and that was carter coughlin and he had one nice cleanup sack in this game really a nice hustle sack i'd call it more along the lines of a kyler fackle type sack but it was good to see him out there for four snaps four snaps and you're able to get two pressures on only three of them were pass rush yes yes he had he had pressure on on another one which was another really nice rep by carter coughlin but on the sack i mean he's in there he's Number 49, he's standing right over the guard, so he's about in a 1-2 technique position, so he's one yard off the line of scrimmage. Looks like he could come, looks like he could drop. You're not really sure. Tom Brady's adjusting his receivers, and then he attacks the inside shoulder, gets transitioned to the center, and the center sees a stunting, looping Cam Brown. And Carter Coughlin kind of gives him a hard club with his outside arm and the center kind of at that same time simultaneously turns to try to handle the stunting cam brown that forces tom brady to kind of step away from the pocket leonard williams wins outside against donovan smith eventually and car coughlin's there with no one to block him since ryan jensen came off his block to help with the stunt and one thing I love about this, and this is so unrelated to the play, because I've been, I'm, and I'm glad that you broke it down that way. So for those who are interested in the technical side, which is all of our fans, you got it there. But one thing I love, and I'm going to go to a different side of this, is if you watch the All-22, right after the play, Coughlin gets up after making his sack, and Leonard Williams is standing right there and gives him a huge, long hug. Like, there you go, rookie. You got a sack. That's awesome. He's just so happy for him after this play. Gets up runs over to him, gives him a huge hug, and it's just awesome to see. Absolutely, man. You, you like to see that, and it kind of speaks to, I think, how this team is. And it kind of goes to what, I don't know if you guys heard about Logan Ryan and like what was going on with his, his pregnant wife and how Joe Judge basically said, hey, man, take care of your family first. That's more important. And that's just kind of that culture that you hope is kind of being built. Logan Ryan spoke about it for about five minutes in some sort of a – press conference or something along those lines and it was one of those really feel-good stories for joe judge this isn't the first time things like this have kind of leaked out of the giants locker room with joe judge being very benevolent about how he treats his players i think it happened with Derek dillon during training camp as well where he left and he was excused and he was re-signed back to the practice squad and he didn't cost him his roster spot so i really like just hearing those kind of positive things coming from the defensive room 
And then a couple other players we should at least mention because they played pretty big roles in this game. And I was curious your takes on them. Neither of them really flashed at me on tape. So I'm curious if you saw it any differently. But one played 35 snaps and the other played 34. Respectively, I'm talking about David Mayo with 35 snaps. And then 34 for Jabal Shear, number 91. Yeah, I didn't really see much from from either of them. Sheard looks slow, to be honest. Sheard I think, looks I think, overweight. I, I think he, I think he looks slow. He looks overweight. I think he has power to him. I think he has violent yeah. hands. I saw I saw things like that. Yeah. What was he originally? A second round pick or third? He was originally uh, a decent prospect. He's also been around for a no. He's been around minute. for a yes. while, he's but he was a decent prospect at one point. In his defense, he was just on Jacksonville this year, and the yeah. Giants got him off their practice squad. And he want to say he had a sack, maybe even two, down there in Jacksonville. It, we we actually watched the tape on that. I remember watching that with you. They were some. They were pretty gross sacks. They, they were, but hey, them. Yeah. <laughs> he did get them. But yeah. they yes, he's not going to win with his athletic ability. Oh, he no, may no. win with power if, yeah. if he can catch a rookie like Andrew Thomas, kind of off balance, and then shoot inside on him or something like that. But the Giants are going to need players who understand this system, who are up to date with it. And the Giants are in a position that is unfortunate, where they don't have a lot of edge talent. They were relying heavily on Lorenzo, Lorenzo Carter, Carter and yeah. O'Shane Zimenez, and they're not there. They're both unhealthy and that's unfortunate for the Giants it's unfortunate for Dave Gettleman who knows both of those guys could have progressed and I'm willing to say that with those two healthy on this defense that really helps complete the defense especially in terms of the pass rush I can't speak to O'Shane's ability to really set the edge consistently I think Lorenzo was really coming around on that but Zimenez I'm a little bit questionable on that but yeah it's uh it's not Great when you see David Mayo and Jabal Sheard playing 35 and 34 snaps. They weren't huge liabilities, though, no. and that's the thing. They're not going to go above and beyond and make crazy kind of plays, but they're not making stupid mistakes that are going to put your team into a position where they're giving up 50-yard touchdown passes or runs. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, Xavier McKinney, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez. These are the guys that Patrick Graham has lost. Adrian Colbert, who carved out a huge role in his defense it's like six guys that he lost and he's still able to have games like this as a corner it's what the giants are doing on defense this is not something like this is kind of something unlike anything i've seen really in recent years from the perspective of what is going on with a unit that's dealt with an incredible amount of injuries and turnover both in season and before the season and that just ultimately hasn't had much draft capital invested into it i I'm just kind of stunned and taken aback by this defense. They really should be one of the worst in the NFL, and they're not. I know. And it's been, it's been a while. I mean, the Giants have had solid corners throughout the years with DRC and Janoris Jenkins and players like that. But it's been a while since I think we've had someone to maybe James Bradbury's caliber. That's and fair. it's been a very long time since we had a linebacker to Blake Martinez's caliber. Yeah. So I think, and the and the defensive line, I feel like the Giants have always had a solid defensive front. They've never been, I guess, pushovers there. But I think the unique nature of having those three specifically with bj hill is the guy who can spell in here and there and he has a unique skill set in and of his own right that i think he has a high pass rushing upside i I just think that allows this defense to do so many different things in terms of the foundation of the defense you can one gap you can two gap you can you can do so many different things that are going to put the offense into a position where they don't exactly know what the other players around them will do or what they can do based on what the Giants defense is going to do because these this defensive line can execute so many different unique assignments because they are strong enough, quick enough, smart enough, and just really good enough, Disciplined to, enough to do yeah. it. Disciplined enough, yeah. It's awesome. It's great to see. All right, Nick, anything else you want to touch on on the defense before we wrap up? I think I'm good, Dan. All right, on that note then, 
Thank you again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter Podcast. As always, if you want to help us grow the show, and you have, certainly, most of you, give us a rating, review on iTunes. Hopefully five-star. Hopefully you're not Kwamzilla, who I'm going to give a second <laughs> negative shout-out to. Yeah, that's right. If you're a listener, Kwamzilla, you're on my bad side, man. You want to make up for it? Talk to me. Hit me up on Twitter. Maybe we can come to an agreement, but I don't like that random one-star for spending a few minutes talking about Wisconsin football, especially when you say, I love your podcast, but... Then if you love our podcast, why is you giving us a one-star review? Don't you realize that hurts our podcast? But anyway, if you want to be the good guy, if you want to be the friend of the show, give us a rating review on there, five-star. Um, it'll help us move over the algorithm and help us get bigger reach to Giants fans base. And also follow us on Instagram at mybigbluebanter. And then lastly, as I mentioned at the top of the show, and I'm going to close out with as well, we're doing a live Q&A with Nick and I on the Locker Room app this Friday at 5 p.m. That means you join, you're live with us, you ask your question. It'll be heard on the app by everyone listening. It'll be heard by us. We'll take the mic back. We'll answer the question, and we'll throw it back to whoever else is next on the question. And for those of you who can't attend, send in your questions. We're going to try to get all the questions in that aren't on the live show. And then lastly, for those of you who can't attend and want to listen to everyone else's questions and our takes on that, we're going to put up the podcast on our feed, a recording of it, so we'll have all that. So on that note, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.